Micah chapter number 3. In chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4 follow the same pattern that the rest of Micah follows. And that is that Micah names the sins of the nation. He pronounces ju judgment and seems like, you know, that's it. He, God's done with Israel, but he's not. He then comes and gives us or tells us about the great hope that not only does Israel have, but we have too uh, in, the, in the coming of the Lord to rule and reign on this earth. And that's the same thing we're going to see again as we come uh, to chapter number three as he points out the sins of the people. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse number one. And listen to what he says. And he says, And I said, Hear now, heads of Jacob. This is Micah's, the Lord speaking through Micah. He says, Hear now, O leaders of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? I mean, what's Micah saying right there? He's asking a rhetorical question, and the, the, the answer that the question begs is what? Yes. If anybody should know about justice, if anybody should be promoting justice in the land, it should be the leaders of Israel. And that's uh, uh, true for any nation. But this nation was totally corrupt, and so its leaders were totally corrupt. And they weren't about promoting justice. They didn't know justice. They didn't want to know justice. And, and woe to a nation whenever its government and judicial system becomes corrupt. A nation's in a bad state, bad, bad state at that point. Now, you know, I know we want to immediately make comparisons to the United States of America, and, and, and there are a lot of comparisons that can be made, but I don't think we're quite as corrupt as they were back then. There really, there still are. You know, I get kind of looking at these passages and saying, man, this looks just like the United States, but then I've got to reflect on the fact we do have some leaders. We do have some that are, that are righteous. We do have some judges that are righteous that really want to do the right thing. But as a nation moves more and more away from God, the more and more corrupt it becomes and the more and more its leaders and judges are, become corrupt. Because God gives us the leaders and judges that we deserve. And if we want to live evil life, we're going to get evil judges. And we're going to do evil things to people. Evil things are going to happen to us and we're not going to be able to find justice. And that's the case as it was in Israel in that day. And, you know, I thank God sometimes that he doesn't give us what we deserve. We don't want what we deserve. We never want what we deserve. Sometimes in his mercy, he gives us good leaders that, that uh, we don't deserve. I'm not saying that's what we have right now, but, but uh, uh, hopefully we're going to see an improvement in that by the grace of God. Not because we deserve it, but simply by the grace of God. But even then, it's only a temporary fix. Because if a nation continues to rebel against God, at some point, God is not going to give us good leaders that we don't deserve. He's going to give us the leaders that we do deserve. And uh, that's happened to a lot of nations. They, they passed the point of no return, and, and hopefully that won't happen to our nation. That's why we want to be praying for revival. We want to be praying for this, because that's really the only thing that's going to save the United States of America, is a change in the people's hearts 
And then we'll get the kind of leaders that, that maybe we do deserve. And that would be good leaders. Maybe we'll deserve good leaders if there's a change in our hearts. So then he says in verse number two, he says, you who hate good. Now, if you hate good, what does that say about your relationship with God? You hate God. And if you love evil, what does that say about your relationship to the devil? You love the devil because the devil is evil. And so there's a spiritual thing going right here, on right here. You who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people. Now, he, he's going to give a description here of what cannibals do. And I don't think these, these leaders and judici this judicial system was really stripping away the skin and eating the flesh of the, of the people. But in effect, that's what they were doing by promoting this corrupt or being part of this corrupt judicial system because the, the poor could find, the righteous could find no relief. And they were being used and they were being taken advantage of and they, and they had no recourse. And so it's as if they were being eaten up by the wicked. And, and uh, so they're rebuked. He says, you who hate good and love evil. Sounds very similar to what Isaiah says over in chapter 5, verse 20. I'm sure you remember that passage or you're familiar with that passage. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, that's what worries me a great deal about the world today and specifically our own country because that's the way it is. I mean, we, we call evil good and we call good evil. And, and, and you just don't have to look far in our society. To, you see it everywhere. You see it in the government. You see it in the judicial system. Let me give you a few examples of some good things that people hate. One of the things they hate, I can tell you right now, they hate the word of God. The, 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 I mean, this great book, this love letter that God's given us, the world hates this book. They call this book evil, believe it or not. They see it as evil. Now, you know, everybody likes the passages about God is love, and they love the passages that, that uh, tell us about heaven and the future we have in heaven, and they, they love to, you know, to, to quote some of the, passages in the, the Sermon on the Mount. But when you come and you tell people that the Bible says the wages of sin is death, they don't want to hear that. They, they don't want to hear that. And they believe that truth is relative, that somehow that truth is evolving. And so really you kind of make truth what you want it to be. You kind of pick and choose out of this word what you want. And then that allows you to do anything you want, to be as evil as you want to be. And so, so but when you really press people about the absolute truth of these 66 books of this Word of God, they hate this Bible. They can't stand this Bible. I don't know if you saw this past week, but there was a U.S. Marine, uh, either a corporal or a sergeant, uh, a young lady. The Supreme Court ruled on her case this week. I don't know if y'all saw that on the news or not. But she had taped a scripture reference on her desk about the size, I think about a half inch by about two inches that simply said Isaiah 54, 17. 
which simply says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Well, that's a great, that's a great Bible verse. If I was a Marine, I, I love that Bible verse. Well, they told her to take that Bible verse off her desk or she was going to be court-martialed. Well, she refused to take it off her desk. They court-martialed her and gave her a dishonorable discharge. And it went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court refused to hear the case. Therefore, uh, the, the, her dishonorable discharge uh, was made to stand simply because she quoted a Bible verse. Because why? Why would they... Why would they not want her to have a Bible verse taped to her death? Because this world hates what is good. It hates the word of God. Most people hate the name, most people in our society, I can tell you right now, they hate the name of Jesus Christ. They will talk about God. They will talk about Allah. They will talk about the man upstairs. But if you name the name of Jesus Christ, you're asking to be persecuted. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution because the world hates the name of Jesus Christ. The most wonderful name in the world. The name of our Savior. I mean, it's okay to talk about it in these four walls, but, but, but don't you go out in the public and talk about the name of Jesus Christ. You can name God. But don't name Jesus Christ. I mean, the sports, like it used to be in, in, in uh, when you, you watch the end of a ball game, there would be somebody naming the name of Jesus Christ. They've shut that down. You can't name the name of Jesus Christ without being persecuted because that name is hated in our society. That's sad. That's really sad. The, the, the best, goodest most wonderful person in the world is hated. The man who died for us on a cross so we could have salvation and eternal life. His name is hated in our society. You don't believe that? Go into a public arena somewhere and say, hey, what do y'all think about Jesus? Or name the name of Jesus Christ and see what happens to you. You'll be shut down. Go to a party and say, man, what do y'all think about Jesus? They'll kick you out of there real quick or they'll shun you real quick. Let me give you some examples of some evil things that are called good. I mean, isn't it amazing how many states now are selling what the Bible calls pharmaceutica, but drugs, mind-changing drugs, and it's called good, and it's called a good, it's such a good thing that the it's, laws have been passed in, in many states that allow the sale of those drugs. I mean, homosexuality, what the Bible says, and I'm not picking on homosexuals, uh, what I'm picking on is when things that are God calls evil or a society begins to call them good. Homosexuality is, the Lord says, is an abomination to him. And yet we call it good. I mean, adultery is an abomination to the Lord. Lying is an abomination to the Lord. Gossip is an abomination to the Lord. But when you start saying it's good to gossip, it's good to lie, it's good to be a homosexual, then you're loving what is evil. You're making good out of what is evil. You know, I remember, you go back, and I remember thinking one of the few television programs you could watch that was really good was the Andy Griffith Show. I mean, how many of y'all like the Andy Griffith, Andy Griffith Show? I mean, I still love the Andy Griffith Show. But if you watch that show, it almost teaches the lesson that it's a good thing to lie. I mean, they lie to each other all the time. And that's like the best show on 
TV, you know, and so he, so it goes downhill from there. So, and and I could go on and on and on with the things in our society today that that are evil that people call good, but 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 you know that you see that. And what's happening in America today is the same thing that was happening in Israel in Micah's day. People love darkness. Jesus said that. They don't come to me because they to the light because they love darkness. Men. And women love darkness. Mankind loves darkness. They walk in darkness. They would rather walk in darkness than walk in the light. They would rather eat what is bitter to the soul than eat what is sweet to the soul. Because when you take what is evil and make it good, you're, you're bringing bitterness into your life at some point. And so instead of walking in the light and walking in the spirit, uh, they're filled with bitterness and and. And look at verse number four. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. You know, I, I've said this on many occasions. There's nothing that scares me more. Uh, it didn't scare me before I was saved in 1989, but nothing scares me more now or bothers me more now than not being able to hear from the Lord. There are seasons, and I think there's seasons in every Christian's life where God sort of withdraws himself from you. And man, all of a sudden you're walking in the darkness and you're just begging for God to come back. Where are you at? He's still there. You know, it says he'll never leave us or forsake us. But I think he gives us that, those seasons so that we desire him, that we want him, and we know what it's like not to have him. And we just beg for his presence. And, I, and like I say, there's nothing darker to me than not to sense the very presence of God in my life. And, and so uh, there, for these people, for these wicked people, there was going to come a time when they would cry out to the Lord and the Lord was not going to hear them. It's going to be as if the Lord has hid himself from them. You know, in the Psalms, it's in chapter in chapter 34, verse 17, it says, The righteous man calls and the Lord hears. He hears their cry and he acts on their cry. But here were these people, they would become so unrighteous and so against God that one day when, when, when these armies came down upon them, they were going to cry out to the Lord, but it was going to be too late. And why was it too late? Because why would they be crying out to the Lord? Because they wanted a relationship with the Lord and they wanted to repent and they wanted to do the right thing. No, because they wanted to save their hide. And God doesn't operate like that. I mean, God wants to save the soul. And it's, when, when we cross the line and we come to a point where the soul can't be saved, then God's not going to save the hide. God's not going to save the body. He's into saving the soul. And that's the point these people had just like when we were in the book of Hosea, they, they'd come to a point of past, they, and that was the northern kingdom he was speaking to, they'd come to a point uh, where they, there was no going back, a point of no return. They'd crossed the line and they were lost. That, that, the nation was lost at that point and they were all going to perish and they were going to all end up in hell. That's, that's where they were at. Now he turns his attention, the Lord turns his attention to the, to the false prophets and listen to what he says. He says, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray. It, stray into what? Into evil. Who teach them that bad things are good and that good things are bad. 
You know, that's the prophet's responsibility to declare the word of the Lord, to declare what is good, to declare what is bad. And you see pastors today, and I'm not, there's a lot of good pastors out there, but there are pastors, a lot of pastors out there that have made this word relative and they actually are leading people astray. They're teaching them, hey, that these things that God called an abomination aren't really an abomination anymore. The truth is relative. The truth is evolving. And it, you really, you know, you're free to do whatever you want to do. And God is God of love and God's going to love you. And everybody's going to end up in heaven one day. Well, that's not going to happen, is it? And the Lord says concerning these prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace and safety when there is no peace and safety. While they chew them up with their teeth, they chew up the good prophets with their teeth. They, they push them aside but who prepare war against him. Now the him there I would capitalize because they're at war against two. They're at war against God. They prepare war against God. They think they're on God's side. I mean, look down at, look down, I believe in verse number 11, it says, these false prophets say, is not the Lord among us? Look at the last part of that verse. No harm can come upon us because the Lord's on our side. I mean, they think they're on the Lord's side, but if you're, you're either for the Lord doing things the Lord's way or you're against the Lord. And these prophets were against the Lord, but they prepare a word against him who puts nothing into their mouths. In other words, what's he saying right there? What they're speaking is not coming from the Lord. When they say peace and safety, that's not the Lord. Speaking When they chew up the true prophets, that's not the Lord speaking. When they lead people into, into believing what is good is evil and what is evil is, is, I mean, what is, let me get that right. What is evil, when they lead people into believing what is evil is good and what is good is evil, then, then uh, uh, they're at war with the Lord and the Lord certainly hadn't put that into their mouths. Anytime you hear somebody that doesn't believe this book from cover to cover, I can tell you right now, they're going to, they're in the, well, I think unwittingly, but they're in the process of leading people astray. And, and you know, you have to take a stand on this word and by faith you have to believe that this word is true. And there's no problem with that if you have the Spirit of God in you because the Spirit of God attests that the word is true. Jesus said, you obey my word, you'll know that my word is true. You'll know that if you're willing to obey my word. And so then in verse number six, he says, therefore you shall have night without vision. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a place so dark you can't see your hand in front of you. I have. And that's a terrible, terrible place to be. But spiritually, just imagine how bad that is to be in a state of spiritual darkness where you don't know what to do. You don't know where your help's going to come from. You don't, you don't have any way to be guided. You're just, you're, just, you're just in darkness. You're totally surrounded by darkness. Therefore, you shall have night without any kind of vision. You won't know what to do. And you'll have darkness without divination, without the power of God. There's, God's not going to be there to help you escape. God's not going to be there to give you guidance. God's not going to be there to... to to empower you. And the sun shall go down on the prophets. And the day shall be dark for them. 
these prophets that are speaking false prophecies, they're gonna, they're gonna, uh, they're walking in darkness too. And one day they're gonna be in a, in, in a bind and they're gonna be in this dark, dark night without any vision whatsoever. I mean, you start stripping away the truth of this word. The, the, the psalmist says that the, the word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I mean, you start taking away the truth of this word and just picking and choosing what you want, then all of a sudden you might as well toss it out and you have no vision in the darkness. You know, I mean, I mean, the darker these times get, the more and more we need to find ourselves in the word of God. That's true for any, even with our society, things get darker, whether your life, things get dark. The best thing to do is, is get into the word when things seem to be get dark and you'll find that light. And so... Then he says, and he says, and they and the day shall be dark for them. And then in verse number seven, so the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abased. Indeed, they shall not cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. One day, what Micah's saying right here, one day, the truth is going to be come out into the open. The truth that these prophets were lying that they weren't prophesying the word of God, that there was a price to pay for, for walking in wickedness, that, that uh, there was a price to pay for making what was good evil, what is good evil and what is evil good. And their predictions of peace and safety are going to be proven wrong because these uh, armies are going to come down and they're going to destroy the northern and southern kingdom. And and these prophets are going to be abased and they're going to be shut up and, uh, uh, because there will be no answer from God. You know, when, when you're destroyed by God, there's no answer to that. There's no way to, just, to rationalize that except the fact that you're being judged by God. And so when these prophets are judged and the nation is judged, then then there's no answer from God. There's nothing else but the answer God gives is you're being judged. Now listen to Micah and what he says. Here's Micah. At this point, probably a well-known prophet in Israel. But listen to what he says. He distinguishes himself from the rest of these prophets in verse number eight. He says, but truly I am full of the power of the spirit of the Lord. He was speaking by the power of of the spirit of the Lord. He was anointed by God to preach the word and of justice and might. If you have the spirit of the Lord in you and you're full of the spirit of the Lord, you're full of righteousness and power. That's what he's saying right there. To, I have the right and the power to, to give you the truth, to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. And so he's saying, you know, uh, I'm not walking in darkness. I'm walking in the light. I don't call good evil and evil good. Evil is evil. Good is good. What Mike is saying. I have the power of the Lord. The words that I speak are not my words. They're the words of the Lord. And I speak by the full power of of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite preachers of all times, and I, I think rhetorically maybe one of the best 
maybe the best I've ever heard. I haven't, I've never heard Charles Spurgeon. I've never heard some of, you know, uh, George Whitfield or, or Charles Finney. You can read their sermons and they're, they're, they have some really good sermons. But I have heard this man, his name is Adrian Rogers. I mean, you talk about, you, you talk about a man to study. Now, I don't, I don't, that's not my style, but man, he could make the, he'd make those fans shake up there and just the natural, I guess you it had a baritone voice just the, just when he, he peaked in his emotions. I mean, just things, the rafters would rattle, and he was so good at that. But he would tell you this. I heard him say on many occasions, he said he would rather die than get up into the pulpit without the anointing of God. He knew he was anointed. I knew he was anointed. It, it, when someone speaks to you, and you know they're speaking to you, and it's the Lord speaking to you through them, you know that person is anointed. And, and I knew Adrian Rogers was anointed, an anointed man of God. And he knew he was an anointed man of God, and he knew the times when the, when the Lord withdrew his spirit from him, that how terrible that was, because all of a sudden he's speaking in the flesh, and there's no power, and there's no uh, impact from his coming from his words. And so he, he said, I would rather die than didn't get up in the pulpit like that. You probably, uh, we might, probably none of us would even notice that. But he knew it. Because he knew the difference. Look, you can be the greatest orator ever. And without the power of God, your words are nothing more than hot air. I mean, you listen to some of the, some of the greatest speakers in this world. Uh, our past president. He was a great speaker, great at teleprompt reading, too. I mean, he was, a, he was a very good speaker, but there was no anointing of God on anything he ever said. I can tell you that right now. I mean, I don't think there was. I guess I'm not his judge, but, but uh, it was a lot of hot air, a lot of falsehoods, a lot of evil coming out of that man's mouth. Now, I'm not saying it's that much different now, but... Micah was a prophet of God, and he knew he was a prophet of God. So Micah says, look, what I'm about to say to you is not my word. You mark it down. What I'm about to tell you is the word of God. Pretty scary word. Look at what he says next. He says, now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity. I mean, that's the Lord charging them with that. They, they were in deep trouble. They realize that now, and they realize that shortly after he spoke these words a few years later. But they, they weren't even listening to this. But you who build up Zion with bloodshed. In other words, you, 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 you trample over people, anybody, to, to, to uh, uh, increase your wealth and make Jerusalem a greater city and... and you build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity, with sin. You do evil things in order to build these cities up, to make them more powerful in the world, which that wasn't God's plan. As God was, God's plan was to use Jerusalem as a witness to the world, not as, not as a, a seat of power, although one day it will be the greatest seat of power when God rules and reigns from Jerusalem. But that wasn't his plan for this nation at this point. That was their plan, just... Just pile up as much wealth and power as they possibly could. Then he says in verse number 11, her heads judge for 
the, her head's judge for a bribe. In other words, justice system is corrupt. Uh, it's not what's fair, it's who's got the money. That's true to some degree in the United States of America today. I'm gonna tell you what, a poor person who gets, uh, who gets thrown into jail and does, can't afford an attorney, they're gonna get a, uh, a public defender and that public defender is gonna say, hey, you just gotta roll over and die because, or roll over and give in here because you know, we're not gonna take this to trial. So a poor person really doesn't have much chance in our judicial system. Her head's judged for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay. And her prophets divine for money. It's all right for a pastor to be paid. But when that's the motive, when the career is the motive, when position is the motive, when power is the motive, then that's not a true prophet or too, true minister of God. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, hey, everything's all right with the Lord. We're in with the Lord. The Lord loves us. We're men of God. We're America's pastor. We're whatever, you know. Is not the Lord among us? I mean, aren't we in this position that we're in because the Lord has put us in this position? Uh-uh. No harm can come upon us or upon our nation because we're the apple of God's eye. With great privilege comes what? Great responsibility. The apple of the eye had become rotten, very rotten, rotten to the core. And God was about to judge that nation. So Micah says, you want to know what's really going on? You're about to be judged by a barbaric pagan army. Look at verse number 12. Therefore, because of you, he puts the blame squarely on the leadership. Although the leaders are, were reflective of a lot of the people in Israel. Because, therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed down like a field. That means it'll be wiped out, leveled, all the cities will be leveled. That's, that's exactly what happened. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. That's exactly what happened to Jerusalem. And the mountain of the temple, and, and the mountain of the temple, like the bare hills of the forest. It's going to be wiped out. Now, that's not a prophecy that's going to tickle people's ears. That's not going to get you a raise, Micah. That's not going to make you the most popular preacher in Israel. I can tell you that right now. But what he was speaking was the truth of God. And actually, to their credit, the southern kingdom listened to Micah to some degree at this point. And many people repented and some of the leaders repented and some good kings came along and they got the kings in God's mercy. Maybe not the kings they deserve, but some of the people deserve. You know, that remnant heard that prayer that was that uh, in Asa's day where if those people who are called by my name will, actually that was in Solomon's day, will repent and, and uh Turn to the Lord, then I'll heal, heal their land. And so they, they prayed that prayer. I said they heard that prayer. They prayed that prayer. And, and God actually gave them good leaders. And God, there actually was a, a small revival under Asa and Hezekiah and some of those kings. But it wasn't too long. I mean, the northern kingdom was destroyed in 721 B.C. And then in 586, 100, 100 years later or so, a little bit more than 100 years the southern kingdom was destroyed too. 
when Nebuchadnezzar came down there and, and he did exactly what Micah said he would do. He plowed it like a field. He made Jerusalem a heap of ruins. He destroyed the mountain of the temple and became just a bare hill at that point. And that's the end of the chapter. But remember what I said. At the end of every one of Micah's prophecies, he gives us this great hope. It just so happens it comes next week in chapter number four, uh, verses, well, really the first part of chapter number four. But I can't leave you hanging in all this gloom and doom. I know you want to go home, but let me just read. We won't exegete these verses tonight, but let's end on a good note here. Let's read Micah 1 and 2. It says now, uh, chapter 4. Says now I shall come to pass. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, the very, very last days. Guess when those days are? Right now, we're really, really close. He says that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. Those mountains that were mowed down, there's going to be a temple built and a, a palace built, and the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountain, Mount Zion. And it shall be exalted above the hills. And the peoples of this world shall flow to it. We'll talk about this more next week. Many nations shall come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and see God in the flesh. To the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways. And, he sh and we shall walk in his path. We really won't have any choice. But we'll walk in his path for out of Zion... The law, righteousness, and truth shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from physical, literal Jerusalem. And we're getting really, really close to that day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the great hope we have of the future when you come and rule and reign on this earth. But Lord, we're not living in that age quite yet. We're still living in that age where... Good is called evil, and evil is called good. Lord, help us in these dark times to be men and women of prayer, men and women who are willing to make sacrifices in order to serve you and to be the kind of witnesses you want us to be, Lord, to be the kind of prayer warriors so that we can pray that you'll heal this land. Father, we just know there's just so much opportunity in these dark, dark times to to do your work. And so, Lord, just show us those opportunities each and every day. Give us your power, Lord. Give us the word. Let our words, the words that come off our tongues be your words, Lord, just like the words that you gave Micah. Let our word be true. Lord, let our words have power. Help us to do your work, Lord. We just ask that in Christ's precious name I pray. Amen.